0: This episode is sponsored by BHMI, the PayTech Award winner for Best Real Time Payment Solution for its Concourse Financial Software Suite.
1: Hello, and welcome to What the FinTech, the podcast from the team behind FinTech Futures and the Banking Technology Magazine. I'm Alex Hamilton, Deputy Editor at FinTech Futures, and joining me this week are Sharon Kamathi, my editor at FinTech Futures. Hello. And Jack Baldwin, chairman of BHMI.
0: Good morning, or I should say, good afternoon. Thank you for inviting me.
1: I appreciate being here, and well, it's great to have you on. Uh, this episode will be touching upon the importance of back office processing for real time payments, and how improving upon it can set up companies for the future. Burst uh, up, as ever, is our news in numbers, however. All of us have gone out and picked up on big numbers from the news in the past few weeks and the start of this year. Uh, Jack, you're our guest, so you have the honor of going first. What number in the news has grabbed your attention?
0: Well, the number that occurred to me last week was the number 39, and that is the share amount that NCR is prepared to pay for shares of Cartronics Corporation as an attempt to acquire the organization. Uh, Cardtronics is the largest ATM network operator in the world. They have over 285,000 ATMs in 10 countries. And interestingly enough, last December, uh, Cardtronics was approached by a couple of private equity companies working in partnership. There's Apollo Global Management, Hudson Executive Capital, and they were interested in buying Cardtronics, the Cardtronics Board had, in fact, met and had tentatively accepted the $35 a share offer that was extended by the private equity group, and everything was set to go forward. And then this last week, NCR came up and threw a spanner in the works and offered up $39 a share. So right now, the Cardtronics Board is considering the offer, but that may not be the final. We may end up getting into a bidding war here, so $39 may not may not stick. But what I found somewhat surprising in this is that NCR is the suitor in question here. NCR is an old line hardware company, but over the last 10 years, they have been on a buying bench, buying up software houses and service organizations. And now they're well on their way to becoming a full fledged financial services and software company themselves. So it's kind of interesting to watch an old line company specializing in hardware to reinvent itself, presumably moving into a market where margins are better. We've seen this with others all, going all the way back to, say, IBM, moving into the services business. So anyway, 39, that's my number for the week.
2: Yeah, I thought this one was quite the interesting story, um, especially because it's an ATM provider and it also, um, has quote unquote value added services, um, which I had to check like with this sort of area with, with payments and what sort of value that they're going to be bringing. Um, and it's more like working capital and alternative payments and cross industry services and customer relationship management, that sort of thing. So it does look like it's more of a software as a service offering too. Um, and I, I thought it was interesting in that it was an ATM business, um, whereas in, in Europe uh, and the UK as well, specifically, we've been talking about how we need to move on to this cashless society um, and that we don't really have this use for cash and people don't, don't even want to accept cash when you're going into some stores here. Um, so I thought that was uh, an interesting point to highlight because it looks like um, over in the States that might not really be the case um and also it looks like these payment services as well are going to keep you know coming up and and they're going to keep being up for grabs for for mergers and acquisitions or partnerships or receiving funding um i mean just this week we saw goldman sachs signing a deal with the card issuing firm marquetta um which saw uh, marquetta underpin the banks marcus's Current accounts so that's going to be interesting too to see if there's going to be more partnerships uh, like this in the future what do you think alex
1: yeah uh, ncr is interestingly one of the, the first companies i interviewed uh when i started out in the in in fintech uh, oh. and the um <laughs> for my first few years in the job, well, it's one of my favorite things to do was go and interview people who run uh, hardware and ATMs and ask them, "Is the is the ATM dead or is cash dead?" And then just turn my recorder on and let them speak for an hour. But um, it's an interesting it's interesting, especially because uh, offering uh, of what is a fairly large amount of money to increase the amount of ATMs you own. However, I, I think the way I, I I sort of see this is. Uh, it's a pretty large install base of ATMs, like like Jack mentioned, almost three hundred thousand ATMs across ten countries. Um, it gives them, I think, what not that I'm a strategist, but a uh, an almost instantaneous like cash flow boost. And I think that something the NCR is looking for right now is to um, give itself the ability to transition rapidly from that hardware focus to one based more around software as a service uh, and payments and digital banking. And I know that. Uh, it was only a month ago or so that they got a, uh, a deal with uh, Wintrust financial corporation uh to uh do the customer experience and digital banking systems uh, with its channel services platform for i think something like 200 or a little less than 200 locations and it's got a few um takers for its digital banking platform in uh, some regional players in the, in the US as well so i think um I mean, ATMs and hardware is obviously NCR's bread and butter. or Was its bread and butter? So this could be just a, a chance to uh, create a solid, a more solid foundation for the transition it's trying to make towards this more uh, software based uh, approach. Um, at the time, at the time we're recording this, the uh, the, share, the NCR share price, which did rise, uh, uh, it's actually gained six percent over the past year. But it's at it's, uh, the time of recording down which isn't a lot, to be honest. Uh, And Cartronics is also uh, down 0.6. But um, it's definitely an an interesting play. And it's one that uh, highlights the the shifting uh, sands in both the payments and the hardware space. Uh, And to be honest, it actually brings me onto onto my number uh, for this week, which is a pretty hefty one, um, both in its size and its implication. It's uh, 53 billion uh, in dollars. And that's the value of the merger between Visa and Plaid, which uh, we've talked about on the podcast before. Um, but uh, this time we're talking about it because it's been called off almost exactly a year after it was first announced. Uh, both companies have been under some pressure pressure from US regulators pretty much from the off um, In November last year, the Department of Justice filed an antitrust suit against it, saying that Visa was attempting to acquire a future competitor and take it out of the market before it grew in size. Um, Now, due to the amount of regulation that could be headed the way of both companies should the deal go ahead, uh, they decided it would be best to terminate things. Visa Chairman Al Kelly said the deal would have held up in court. But that, uh, it would have taken substantial time to complete. And with a deal that's worth that amount of money, they obviously decided to, uh, to call time on it. Uh, Plaid for the time being will continue as a par- partner and provider for Visa. Um, it's interesting, not just because you know, a massive deal that's being cancelled. Uh, what does this mean for Plaid? Does that mean an IPO? Does that mean they, they, they push on from there? But also, uh, because the Department of Justice gave MasterCard the green light for its own buy up of, uh, finicity which is a company which has a similar model to Plaid, but not uh, not as high a valuation. And on top of that, the Visa deal got, um, got the green light from the UK's Competition and Markets Authority, which said that although Visa was buying a company that perhaps could be its competitor in the marketplace, there were plenty of others ready to step into the gap. Um, lots of people saw this deal, um, the Visa Plaid deal, as Visa attempting to sort of get on board with the cool kids, uh, open banking and payments initiation. Uh, so it remains to be seen what uh, what the major card provider does from here. But uh, what do you think, Sharon?
2: Yeah, we've spoken about this before as well on episode nine um, when it came to MasterCard and Finicity's acquisition um, and also episode 13 too, so if people want to have a look about you know, what we were thinking at the time. But services like Plaid as well may face a potential shift too in service offerings. I don't know if it will be for better or worse, but because of the ongoing Oracle versus Google case in the Supreme Court um, still carrying on and, you know, leading some legal commentators to think that perhaps the final ruling may side against Google um, as the Federal Circuit issued its opinion in favour of Oracle's case Um, It found that Google's use of the Java application programming interface APIs, which is essentially uh, Plaid's offerings, um, as not fair as a matter of law. So I I was really scratching my head about what that will mean for open APIs in the future, especially in the States. I mean, it looks like for Europe, for for the most part, people are mainly concentrating on harmonization of, of these rules and, and its openness, whereas there it seems like it, it's actually thinking about closing some of these things. Uh, so um, I know that their defense lawyer uh, pointed out that creating their own specific code at the time uh, would make computer programming in, inefficient and result in fewer creative programmers because they had to use some of the that actual code, when when writing it down, um, of course the the other side, Oracle side, noted that well, you know, if you open the door for people to copy it, then that means that you know, where exactly do you start closing the door? But you know, for Europe, for the most part, they think opening it is probably better. Um, but aside from from that and the obvious reasons that you stated as well, um, one point that I thought was pretty interesting was how the Plaid employees reacted because they were sharing memes on social media, on Twitter, showing elation and joy because the deal wasn't going through. I mean, some people were saying, Plaid's a startup again? Well, it always has been and always will be. And some people took a photo of themselves smiling through it all was the caption and can't believe this was my life. Uh, is another caption. Whilst uh, Keith Gross, Plaid's head of international, uh, spoke to FN, saying that it's clarity and excitement to get back to owning our own destiny. So it shows like the actual employees did not want this to go through in order to keep their current culture. Maybe they thought it would, you know, lead to more corporate culture, which is not really their bag. Um, and also, as you mentioned, people are looking at um, an initial public offering too through special purpose acquisition companies. We're seeing quite a few of them crop up lately as well here. So there's quite a lot to unpack. And I was wondering if there's anything to add, Jack, or or not at all. You know, you can just uh, sort of let us know your thoughts about it.
0: Well, I found it interesting that the Department of Justice allowed the MasterCard Venicity deal to go through. Uh, and as you've already pointed out, the Visa plat operation is a direct parallel to that. I did notice that the Department of Justice estimated that Visa controlled 70 percent of the debit transaction marketplace, and MasterCard only controlled 20 percent. Well, I know that the Department of Justice doesn't like monopolies in this country, but they're also not particularly happy with duopolies either. So you have two major players, and everybody else gets 5 percent of the debit transaction marketplace. The only thing I can surmise out of all of this is that 70% is significantly greater than 20%. And they wanted to allow MasterCard to go forward so they could perhaps compete more effectively against Visa. Make sure that Visa had strong competition from an organization that is least of its same general size and market participation. But they didn't want to give Visa the same capability because that would strengthen Visa's position uh, and prevent any advantage that might have been granted to MasterCard by its finicity purchase to to basically would disappear. So I think that maybe the Department of Justice might have been playing favorites a little bit here in order to make sure that Visa had a good, solid competitor in this space. Otherwise, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me.
2: Yeah, it is a, a bit of a, a funny one, isn't it? And and I mean, on to other um, interesting or, or funny news, especially for, for those who listen to this, or what the FinTech podcast frequently would know on my part that this might be a big deal because it's a buy now, pay later firm that I'm about to mention. So my number is 98% as a firm saw its stock price rise to that on its debut IPO listing. So a firm is a San Francisco buy now, pay later, BNPL FinTech, um, and it's almost doubled its value following a successful IPO on the 13th of January. The fintech is led by the PayPal co-founder Mark Levchin, and it had its price shared at $49 a piece above its target range of $41 to $44 each. Um, so they closed it with a market value of more than $23 billion. Uh, and the company has a fully diluted valuation of almost $30 billion, including options and restricted stock units, according to Bloomberg calculations. Um, and there's a lot that I can sort of unpack with this, um, cause I have been excited about speaking about BNPL for a really long time. Um, especially since I was in, um, 11 FS's after dark show too. Um, pretty much declaring it, uh, Horrendous, <laughs> but um, since then, actually, and it's just still early January. More than seventy cross-party MPs in the UK have called for buy now pay later firms in the UK to meet stricter regulations, uh, and this was on the fourteenth of January. So, Labour MP Stella Creasy, who led the virtual call with other MPs, reported on by the Guardian, said that the likes of Klarna, Layby, and Clearpay are the next Wonga waiting to happen, which Klarna have since taken umbrage with. Uh, because they note that there are a fully licensed bank. And unlike payday loans, quote, we charge no interest and no fees on our most popular products. Uh, now, the group of parliamentary representatives tabled an amendment to the financial services bill. They wanted to push through regulations within three months of the bill passing, but the UK government voted down the bill. And the FCA is due to report later this year as well on the review that they launched last September of the unsecured credit market in which BNPL is a prime target. So while the FCA has already imposed some controls on those practices, the sector remains largely unregulated, unlike, for example, a rival market in credit cards. So which the consumer rights organization is also demanding tighter controls and consumer protections for buy now pay later firms. This is mainly because there's been such a rise in their usage, especially in the UK, because, you know, there's a, there's an unsecured job market out there. There's loads of furlough, but you still need your your products and goods uh, for whatever reason. And these services are out there, but it seems good for the most part until a, a bill payment is missed because after that, it does affect your credit score for many years, which can hinder you in obtaining future assets as well. So you, you know that there's so much that I can unpack with this and I don't want to take up Too much airtime, just talking about it for for the most part. So, what are your thoughts, guys? What do you think about it, Alex?
1: I'm always excited whenever I see we're covering a BNPL story on the podcast. Uh, Yeah, I mean, you did did a fantastic job summing it all up there, Sharon. I I think that. it's a conversation we're going to have multiple times throughout this year something i said last year on our on our roundup podcast that BNPL is going to be the a hot topic the figures here are you know they're staggering really a market value of 23 billion diluted valuation of 30 billion levchin's made 1.4 billion off of it alone uh it really goes to show just how obscenely popular um these Platforms are and the amount of money people can see that can be made in them, um, and yeah, I, I mean, I'm I'm on the same boat as you in that I think that they are an inherently predatory practice. Um, I think that, that people, a lot of people who use buy now pay later services, aren't financially literate enough to f- fully understand the the problems with missing payments or. Um, because it's no interest, no fee, that means it's fine. It doesn't matter if you don't have the money in your bank account, and then suddenly they get a couple of letters through the the, the letter box, and their credit score is ruined for the for the next five to ten years. Um, but it's, uh, I think the, the industry itself is railing against this sort of label, and I. But I think it has to do a lot more to prove that it's out there to actually try and try and help help people out. Um, however, I, I think we're going to see another. We're going to see plenty more. Uh, large funding rounds for buy now pay later firms until um, regulation gets a hold on it, and we'll see what kind of regulatory reaction there is, and what the reaction to that regulatory reaction is. Whether the, the BNPL market will think it's being unfairly victimized uh, or not. Um, I mean, we have a pretty, or I do have a pretty uh, eurocentric uh, view of this on 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 things. But Jack, have you have you run into as uh, much on, in in your line of work, and have you? Uh, got an opinion on the way they operate?
0: I'm not a personal user of them, but I'm certainly aware of the BNPL companies and that they seem to have acquired a certain popularity uh, with people. But this story that, that came about with the IPO of of a firm on all of this is that the fact that the stock price practically doubled in the course of a single trading day, essentially the market is, is strongly endorsing the business model, though it's here to stay. And for certain types of users, the BNPL transactions are superior to equivalent uh, credit card transactions in terms of cost. Um, so it does provide certain advantages. In fact, there are, there are pundits who have opined that since the beginning of the pandemic, in this country, there's been a $2 billion drop in outstanding credit card debt. And they're suggesting that one of the primary reasons for this might be the fact that people are switching from credit cards to BNPL-type purchases. I think it's a plausible argument, but I, think, I personally think it's tenuous. For example, um, I think a more compelling argument can be made by noting the fact that the United States government thus far has given every man woman and child in households earning under $75,000 a year $1800. At $1800 and that's just right now there's talk of increasing that by another 1400 or 2000. That's potential that potentially out there. But that's been a lifeline for the financial distress that has been caused by the pandemic among certain segments of the population. But there are other segments of the population that haven't been impacted financially by the pandemic at all. They've retained their jobs. They continue much as they have. They're earning as same as they were prior to the pandemic. But now they've got $1,800 in the pocket of each member of the household. So I could certainly see that, for example, being used to draw down outstanding credit card debt that the household has. So I think that's possibly a more compelling argument to make for why the outstanding credit card debt may have dropped. But I think, nevertheless, this IPO was extraordinarily successful. And I think it's basically making the statement that BNPL companies are here to stay. In fact, I think they're going to evolve and grow, become even more paramount in purchases
1: here we are in part two of the podcast this is where we focus the discussion down into a specific industry topic or sector uh, as I mentioned at the top of the program, we'll be talking about back office real time payments. But before we get into that world, uh, Jack, perhaps you'd like to give us a little bit of extra information about BHMI, uh, your role there, and your plans for 2021.
0: Okay. Well, I'm CEO of BHMI, and we develop and license software for serious players in the payments space. Uh, and toward that end, we have a collection of software products that we collectively designate as a concourse financial software suite. And the modules in concourse include uh, settlement, reconciliation, disputes processing, and we have a fees, commissions, and rebates module that deals with any fees, commissions, or rebates that might be associated with uh, payments processing. So that, in a nutshell, is, is what we do
2: and congratulations by the way for winning last year's best real-time payment solutions award uh, during the 2020 paytech awards can you give us a little bit of background about it by the way
0: oh sure i can sharon thank you for the question Um, Well, as I mentioned, Concourse is a product set that is intended for serious players in the payment space. We concentrate primarily on back-office modernization and future-proofing, and the real-time payments is one aspect of of that objective. But we've been following the PayTech Awards for a number of years, and we've talked generally about, well, maybe we should enter concourse into the competition and see how we might do. So we bit the bullet and we entered the competition this year in the best real-time payment solution category. And we thought, well, we might have, have a slight edge. We might get a little more attention because we're active in the back office space. Uh, that's different from most of the real-time companies. So we might get a little more notice that way. Well, we were gratified to, to find out that the awards committee had, in fact, declared us to be the winner in this category. We're honored to have received the award, and we want to say thank you again, FinTech Futures, for, for allowing us to participate.
2: Oh, well, that's our pleasure, as always. Um, so what's the issue regarding back office processing for real-time payments?
0: Well... Let's put it this way. Real-time payments have been a real force in the payment space now for a number of years. There's been significant investment into applications and infrastructure to support real-time payments. For example, you now have mobile applications that allow users to quickly create and direct a payment and post it on a payments network that is supporting the particular channel. So, and you can do that within a matter of seconds. The problem is that that's only the first half of the payment life cycle. The payment isn't really and truly completed until it's settled. And this is where real-time meets batch. Because when individual payments hit the back office, they aren't processed all the way through, typically. They're basically gathered in big batch files, and they're collected throughout the day, and generally once a day, All of the transactions that have been received during the course of the processing day are submitted for settlement. And it's at that point that the payment has, in fact, been completed. Up until that point, the recipient of the funds can't use them without restrictions. And one of the big issues as far as operators of these kind of networks is that there's no visibility into the true status of payments during the course of the processing day. You don't find out where the positions are until settlement has actually occurred. So this is the problem that we've attempted to address with concourse architecture. Concourse architecture is basically based on continuous processing. So what that means is that as soon as a transaction touches the back office, it's immediately stored for online reference in a central repository. And it's processed all the way through as far as that transaction can be processed. So during the the course of processing, settlement positions are automatically adjusted. uh, If their summaries are updated and if there are any networks that that are connected that need to be informed of the status of, of payments processing, they can be updated as well. And if there are any fees that are associated with the processing of those payments, they can be determined and settled as well. So if Concourse is is the agent that's going to be moving the money, this process I just talked about is a matter of seconds, just like the front end. And Concourse will build the instructions to move the money and execute that. If there's an external agent that's going to be responsible for final settlement, Concourse will do the will do the the processing up to the very end before it turns it over to this third-party settling agent. But regardless of which option may exist, that users who want to monitor the transactions and their effects on positions, they're able to do that within seconds of the arrival of a single payment transaction. You don't have to wait. It's there. And this is pretty useful for people who are doing serious... uh, Financial tracking. This is particularly useful for people who are in cash management and treasury management because they have to be aware of physicians throughout the day because they may, in fact, have to move some money to support the processing profile that exists at any given time. So that's how we attempt to resolve the issue of um, of real time payments. But you know, I mentioned earlier that. We try to modernize the back office. We also try to future-proof it as well. There's a legendary Texas football coach, Daryl Royal, who quipped at one time that we dance with who brung us. Now, that folksy aphorism basically meant that Coach Royal's football teams, he would adjust their style of play to best comp- combat the strengths of whatever the opponent might be. Different opponents, different strengths, different styles of play. We do somewhat the same sort of thing, that we have to make changes. We know we're going to have to make changes, both to accommodate different customers and also to accommodate changes that may occur in the future. But we minimize the need to write new code because each concourse module is underpinned by an industrial strength rules engine. So if we have to make changes, we don't change code, we change configurations that cause the rules to do different things. So that's one of the main things that we do to help future-proof concourse and the back office that it's serving. So that's what we do.
1: So we're here in part three for FinTech Jail, back with a vengeance in 2021. We've got plenty of words tucked away in prison from season one, but what will be joining it? Uh, if you don't know the rules, we ask for an industry term, a buzzword or a trend that our guest has had enough of. Uh, Sharon and I will then decide whether it gets sent downtown. So, Jack, what term do you wish to see in jail?
0: Oh, yes, this is one is a particular pet peeve of mine. I call it fill in the blank pay. Now, what do you mean by that? I mean, basically, there's been this trend that's uh, that's risen over a number of years where companies that are putting in new payment systems or networks, they they add some prefix to the word pay, typically the prefix associated with the company that's operating the system, and that's the name of the system. So as a consequence of that, we have uh, Alipay, which is operated by the Alibaba Group out of China. We have Apple Pay, Google Pay, Microsoft Pay, Amazon Pay. We even have Walmart Pay, at least in the United Kingdom. You have Tesco Pay, but they put a plus at the end of it, so it's Tesco Pay Plus. I think this is a pernicious trend that should be stopped. So I nominate fill-in-the-blank pay to be consigned to fintech jail. (laughs)
2: <laughs> that that's pretty uh, pretty funny to me, um. But before I make my verdict, what do you propose then that we use as an alternative? Anything else? <laughs> you don't have to go ahead
0: and put. It's it's because it's become so ubiquitous to use this as a naming convention, uh. So maybe you could have uh, something like Google Spend or, uh, the. Apple Pay system or something like that, but it just, it's something pay has been the pattern and it continues to be used. Uh, I'd like to see some differentiation.
2: Yeah, I think you're right there, you know, because before I was thinking, hmm, well, hang on, you know, because, you know, Apple Pay or Google Pay sort of lets me know what it is the offering will be about. It's just, you know, I'm using what I like and it's got payment systems at the end of it. But now that you said like spend... Perhaps, um, I don't know, cash or, or something, you know, even a, a plus would, would probably be a little bit more better and might provide a bit more diversity in terms of these names. It does seem a little bit homogenous at the moment, um, with not a lot of creativity going into it at all. Uh, but what do you think, Alex?
1: Uh, I think, um, it's a product of its own industry. Uh, I mean, Google was once known as Google Wallet, uh, and then they scrapped that and changed it to Google Pay uh, because wallet wasn't doing too well as a term and wasn't catching on. Uh, so I think, unfortunately, we've got to a situation where pay has worked and everyone just doesn't want to be someone, they don't want to be the company that's like, oh, we're such and such cash or we're such and such uh, send. And people are like, what's that? And like, so, oh, you, you, you use it for payments. Oh, so like Google Pay. Yeah, but, you know, that's like, I think that they're stuck in a a loop here. But I think, you know, I mean, if we had the power to change the industry by putting terms in jail, it would be a a valuable cause to make sure that at least one company decides to buck the trend and uh, place its faith in its users to understand that there are other words out there for transactions other than pay. So, I mean, I think it can go in there uh, on a purely altruistic basis. Reasons.
2: Yeah, I think so too, because it looks like what needs to happen is more of some sort of rehab, you know, just to regroup everyone, have a little think. What other words? I mean, here's a hint you can just synonym it, you know, just the old Google, pop it into a synonym, use a thesaurus, whatever you need. Just, you know, we can start using different words. um, Because I am seeing a trend not only in the fintech space but also elsewhere where it seems like making something more homogenous is, you know, the way to go. People were putting up uh, the logos of certain companies throughout the years and how they're actually getting less creative and more drab um, and more similar in nature with just like a a black and white sort of background look to them from Taco Bell, which started with, you know, red and and yellow. Then it became purple, white and black. And now it's just going to be black and, You know, it's like, come on, guys, let's not all do the same boring thing. Let's be creative. Someone do something different, you know?
1: Yeah, we've got a couple of verbs here. Like we could go, uh, let's just Google it. Uh, Reward, reimburse, recompense, remunerate. Something (laughs) like that. You know, know, Apple remunerate. Yes. You know, indemnify.
2: You can definitely make the spelling a bit funky, you know, like the way FinTechs often have like Z or like a like a 5 somewhere the mess. <laughs> so yeah, I would say let's lock it in there uh just in rehab, you know, for 2 years. 2 years in rehab, what do you think?
1: I think that suits send it to branding anonymous. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Case closed. Well,
0: I think I think what's been done has been done. The pays are out there, but I think we need to stop the rot.
1: Well, that's all we have time for this episode thanks to Sharon and Jack for joining me before we sign off though uh just a chance for everyone to plug socials websites companies etc uh Jack you're the guest so you're up first you got anything to plug
0: I've got a couple of course I'd like to plug our our company uh which is available on www.bhmi.com but I also want to plug my favorite small animal charity that is active in the state of nebraska which is where i'm located it's www.nebraskawildliferehab.org they do an excellent job at rescuing and and restoring injured or orphaned animals back into
1: the wild they did good work wow i think that's the most wholesome plug we've ever had on this podcast how amazing uh well sharon you gotta follow that up (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what, 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 what can you plug?
2: Oh, uh, probably nothing is as nice and wholesome as that. Maybe some wholesome fintech is what I'll give you <laughs> with some fintech news and stuff coming up on the February edition of the Banking Technology magazine. So uh, please do check out the website around February. And obviously you can still uh, search me up on uh, Twitter, so it's at Fintech Kits. So just Fintech the way you spell it. And K-I-T-S, people, it's just Fintech Kits. So do put me on your apps. And as always, I will keep accepting random requests on LinkedIn and suggestions too. You know, I've seen some suggestions for topics coming up in the future on this podcast. Let's see if either one of you will make it. <laughs>
1: Uh, and as for me, you can find me on Twitter at, at adhamilton91 and on LinkedIn by searching my name. And uh, why not? Uh, go visit the Wandsworth uh, Wetland Centre, uh, which is a great place to see lots of ducks and some otters as well. Why not? They're a charity. Anyway.
2: Aww, everyone's
1: doing <laughs> animals. I know. We just sandwiched you. You feel really bad now, Sharon. I'm sure. I feel really bad.
2: <laughs> I have a cat, people. You can just follow me for
1: Follow <laughs> for <of> the cat. <laughs> um, as, uh, as for Fintech Futures, you can find uh, our brand online at www.fintechfutures.com on Twitter it's at Fintech Futures and on LinkedIn just by searching Fintech Futures and looking for our gorgeous loco the linkedin group pros by the thousands every week uh, if you like this podcast and our other episodes subscribe on apple Podcasts, spotify soundcloud or your podcasting service of choice we'd also really appreciate it if you could help others find our podcast uh, write a review or recommend us to a friend or colleague uh, thanks very much for any and all support as always we will see you soon for another episode of what the fintech but until then goodbye